kidding, don't do that. But I tell you, Steve, I always respond to the Old Testament reading by singing together to this tune of Gilgamesh Island. That man has birthday blessed in his new walk is not <laughs> North, would you come up here and join me, brother? Because North is coming up here. Um, I had the privilege of meeting North last year, uh, November. The mustard seed got the shelter downstairs, people's place, and Byron asked me if I would take lead for November, December. Things leave all uh, for November, December. It went into a little bit of January to kind of develop the, the DNA of the shelter and the ethos and kind of some of the protocol. And you kind of became my right hand man because everything I said, you could like write down and make a document out of it. I'm like, yes. Do the documents get followed? <laughs> <laughs> But I had the privilege of doing some night shifts with North, and uh, also our friend Dan, who is also Filipino. And it was really my first time being exposed to Filipino friends, co-workers. And I told them that straight up, I'm like, you guys are awesome. Your work ethic, your convictions, like, we need to like take some of you and some people on others. But we became friends, and through the course of some of those evenings, um, I did ask questions about, you know, they knew I was a chaplain, they knew I love Jesus, or they hope I love Jesus. And I answered questions while we were sitting there, uh, you know, one in the morning, two in the morning, just kind of walked through my faith and like, you know, why I have a hope that is real for me, and uh, both Dan and North come from a Roman Catholic background. In the Philippines, and um, I remember Dan saying to me, like, Shane, your faith is alive. You're, you're, you're living your life. And it made me cry when you talked to me. Tell me what Jesus is doing. It's not like that, really, how we grew up. We don't, we don't have that. Um, so months go by, months go by, and, and then uh, North and I have kept in contact almost every time that I've been back in right here. You know, found him or texted him when we're not in the area. And he's going to share a few things um, with you that he has uh, prepared. You're going to read it, Mark? You can do whatever. No, it's not too long. Just too many are too long. About Jesus. If it's not about Jesus, we might say. Go ahead. Uh, so, yeah, I'm not really comfortable like being up here, so I'll just read from the story that I tried to piece together and what I was sharing with Shane last Thursday, I think. So, uh, this is just about how I am seeing how the world that the Lord is like, working in my life. So, I've been in a relationship with my now ex-girlfriend for the longest time, about seven years. And she broke up with me like three months before I planned to go home and propose to her. So I've been going home almost every year just to make sure that we still stay in contact and keep the relationship together. But I didn't go home for like the year 2017 only because 
2018 on March was our anniversary, and that was the day that I was planning to save and actually propose the report. So I had already everything pre booked, like my plane ticket was pre booked, I had my friends already like briefed on what I was planning to do. I had saved enough money to buy her ring and gonna buy it in the Philippines, but yeah, she broke up with me on November of 2017. Of course, we can't really meet up because we were long distance at the time. And it was really hard for me to like FaceTime her for it. It would have been a really good opportunity to see her face to face and you know talk it over, but I just didn't have the courage or the strength to do it at the time. But I was still really determined to go home in the Philippines on that year on March 2018 to you know give it one last chance to see if we could have it prepared or something. But while I was there it was just she gave me the final word that this is it, there's no way that we can work it out anymore. So, yeah, I just went home and treated it as like a vacation, and we spent time together as if we were still you know, in a relationship until I got back here. And, you know, the reality of the breakup hit me, and it was just really devastating. So, that's when I really started to separate myself from everything that I got involved with. It felt like, um, like everything in my life is sucked. So I I was here working hard with the thought in mind that I'll be able to like build a future for us here, but apparently it just didn't go that way. So like life went on for me as dark as it may seem, but in that darkness I knew that the Lord was working in my life. Like I may not see it, but I know he is and unknowingly to me he was working in her life as well. So, like one night at work, I was talking with a co-worker and we got into a discussion about like where my faith lies, something like that. And then he, I told him my story, he consoled me, and he gave me some words of wisdom from the gospel. And he asked me to watch like a video of a pastor, I think it's Stephen Furtick, something like that. So I gave it a try, but my heart wasn't exactly there yet in terms of like looking for God or being in the faith, something like that. And I even to the point where I even rejected like being prayed over that night. I just shared my story and I couldn't handle whatever I was feeling at the time. So I got home, looked up the pastor, watched some videos, then I started clicking on the next, clicking on the next video. And I remember vaguely, but some of the topics were about like finding peace in God, trusting in His plans, and something about suffering, but all of them were really relevant to me at the time. And this is where it felt really mysterious because during the time that I had been going through this content, and whenever I felt that I needed it, I'd be going and searching for something that could, you know, help me reflect on for the day. Yeah, that's when I saw, like, just scrolling through Facebook, too, that my ex-girlfriend was kind of looking at the same kinds of videos from the same pastor, too, and during that time, we were just not even talking to each other, so it was quite a surprise to me to see that, like, happen. We're relating on us, the same kind of word, the same kind of content, but we're not even speaking with each other. 
So this went on for months, and then when I felt that I needed to talk to her just to close it all out, we did. But at that time, like all the hate that I had for her or the situation wasn't just there. And then instead of the topics or the conversation being more about us, it just transformed into something more about our faith in the Lord and how we could have prepared it with uh, having the Lord in the back of our heads because we were both not exactly like treating the Lord as if you were here. So we were both not really like having faith in him until this time where it was just amazing. Before I would treat it as something like a coincidence, it's, it's just a coincidence, but now that I have my faith restored in him, it kind of feels like he really is working in my life and in hers as well. So yeah, through that, like I started to see that my days are getting brighter and there's more to look forward to in life than just what my heart is telling me, my personal dreams, my goals, but the Lord is here for us all and He has plans for me. And yeah, I think that's it. Thanks, Norm. So, yeah. So, last, uh, um, as you're in December, you came to see Chapel, you, you've been coming to see Chapel. <laughs> Sorry. Um, and then last Sunday we, we spoke on baptism and we talked about a baptism that is a real baptism, a baptism that saves you, a baptism that the Lord performs, your heart changing and everything. And after that, um, North came up here and we had a conversation about where he is and, and what's happening and really what he is trying to communicate to you guys is that he, he loves Jesus. He loves Jesus and he had made a decision to to pursue Christ, to become a disciple of Christ. And um, there's I think for the sake of like not confusing people, we'll leave it at that. But some of you might be like, well let's, you know, let's keep moving forward. Um, Somebody might be like, what's the next step in his journey? I've given him a whole bunch of opportunities what the next step in his journey is, but he is in a place where his conviction is that he uh, he's good and identifying that he's been baptized and that he's been truly baptized by the Holy Spirit and his heart is regenerated. And so I just wanted to give you the opportunity for you to share that. You asked for the opportunity and we want to celebrate with you.
of faith, then the response of being baptized or, you know, you're, you're baptizing really has nothing to do with it because your parents are making executive decisions for you, your father is the household. There's something that is true no matter what the situation is, is that the baptism that man performs, it's either testifying for you or against you. And, and what that means is it's either testifying that you need to be saved, that you need your heart to be regenerated and to come to that place of turning to Christ and faith and repentance. Or it affirms this has happened in you. What this sign pointed to has taken place in you. And it's uh, it's across the table. Well, I thank the Lord for the work that he's doing in my friend North. And if you have your Bibles, I invite you to, to come along with me to turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. And if you have a few Bibles, we'll be on page 100 and, well, sorry, 1016. And I want you to know that it's my joy to journey with you as we launch into a new chapter, but in the same series. I like it when we hit chapters. It feels like it's a nice little, you know, fresh out of the gate again. Get ready for the next, you know, grind through chapter four. And I just want to remind you that this letter that we're looking at, First Peter, it's a short letter in comparison to many other things. It's not the shortest, Jews by far, but it's a short manual regarding doctrine that outlines very basic introduction principles for us as disciples in Christ. Peter is writing as a pastor, a shepherd who loves the flock that's receiving his letter, the elect exiles, and he wants them to be encouraged. And I was looking back on my first sermon, and I, I expressed some things in my first sermon regarding this letter that was written to the churches in the Asia Minor about how they're being instructed to live out their faith, to, to live out the gospel and to grow in, in their understanding of it, right? We have young and old here, and I guarantee you that if we ask the Lord to put us in position of Christian maturity regarding discipleship, we might be surprised at the order he puts us in. Because we're all in a place of growing and learning and pressing in concerning the knowledge and the truth of the gospel that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're doing that individually and collectively. Individually, we have the responsibility to pursue Jesus, to journey with Jesus, to grow in Jesus, to trust that Jesus has sent the promise, comforter, the Holy Spirit, to teach us, to instruct us, to give us understanding regarding the Word of God. But we also have a responsibility collectively. And so whether we are individuals or, or collective as a congregation, we are what Peter is ready to elect exiles in this city. This isn't our home. We're on a journey. And the same application that they had back in the days of Peter 
is the exact same application that we have today as we live in the culture that we find ourselves in. Does anyone here find the culture that we find ourselves living in challenging? Pressing upon you? So how do we work out our common salvation and live our lives in times of suffering? And suffering is really, it, it's a thread throughout this, this letter. It's a, it's a constant theme that Peter keeps bringing us to. And he's giving pastoral care to those left exiles who are experiencing suffering. And I think at minimum we've already had three sermons touching on the topic from different points. And, and there's more sermons coming on this topic of suffering because it, it goes right through to the end. And so we're going to be picking up in the first verse here. So I'd ask you to follow me. Here now the reading of God's holy word. Therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of his time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery as they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. May the Lord add his own blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Father, we thank you that you have given us your word. That you have given us the joy of having access to it in such real and regular ways. We pray, Lord, that as we press in to this passage of Scripture, that you would do a work in our heart, that you would strengthen us, that you would encourage us, and that you would be glorified by this time that we spend together. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Verse 1, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff in verse 1. But one of the things that I want to draw out there that I want us to understand and I want us to focus on this morning is that we're called to certain character qualities. We're called to certain things regarding being disciples identified with Christ. And it's the pursuit. We are disciples who reflect Christ's likelessness, and we're pursuing Him, and therefore we get the name Christian, to be Christ-like. But in this pursuit, Paul is giving us some very, Peter is giving us some very clear instruction regarding our thinking. Our thinking. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. It's very interesting to, to be in that place and to spend time as brothers and sisters and you know, out there with friends who are believers and friends who are non-believers. And you can't help but get in conversations and, 
can process and, and talk together and tell stories and, and all these things. But in the process of doing that, what are we doing? We're, we're thinking. We're using this, this great matter that is in our skull, and we're thinking. We're thinking about what's being spoken to us right now. I hope you guys are thinking. I'm thinking, you're thinking, we're in the process of thinking together collectively concerning a topic, concerning a passage of scripture. But it says in the same way of thinking, or, or perhaps the application that we see in Christ, who faced a great amount of suffering, as he obeyed the call that was upon him, as he lived out the will of his Father, it's to be mirrored in us. It's to be found in us. And that's one of the hardest things as a disciple in the process of becoming mature and moving away from immaturity is that skill of knowing how to take every thought captive to the obedience of your passions, your desires, your lusts, your agenda. No. To take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That's hard, isn't it? You find yourself in moments of tension. People who are like minded, people who are not like minded, and you find yourself in a way of like, oh, I forgot to put on what would Jesus do bracelet today? Followed by what would Jesus say bracelet today? And I'm not mocking them. Those had a, a sense of kind of a, a, a little piece of rubber on our wrist that would, would remind us that what we're about to do or say or how we're about to conduct ourselves, that we should take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. What, what controls your thoughts? What, what controls your thinking? What brings you to a place of, this is what I'm thinking, this is... The decision I've made, this is what I'm going to do. And so, here it comes. Blah. Right? This thing over here, called feelings. Feelings. Uh, I have feelings. You guys have feelings. Feelings, as you've heard me say before, feelings are, are awesome slaves, but horrible masters. Right? Have you ever had someone in your life, maybe an infant, a child, where you are in the process of discipling them, bringing discipline in their life, getting them away from that place where they do whatever they feel? Pooping pants? You're sick, stop pooping your pants. But it just feels warm, it feels okay. Like, Mom is going to make you start doing the laundry because that's how she feels about the situation. Okay? But we're in this place of immaturity. Even with our children, we bring discipline into our life. We bring things that will cause them to start thinking different and to start controlling their what? Feelings. Teaching them how to govern their feelings. That's as elementary as this sermon gets. Is that if we allow our feelings to control our thinking, and out of our thinking, our passions come forth. Oh, all 
the other things that are listed in this portion of scripture also begin to manifest. And so we have to have this, this discipline of knowing and thinking and understanding what it means to be disciples of Christ who love Jesus, who are pursuing holiness, and desire to find ourselves in a place of seeing his name glorified through our feelings, through our thinking, through our actions. Paul says it another way. He says, For it has been granted to you. It's been granted to you. There's nothing in of yourselves. Like, you didn't earn this. There's nothing that, you know, you filled off a checklist and it's like, oh, that thing that's supposed to be granted to me should arrive today. No, it's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, it's been granted to you for Christ's sake, for his glory, for his name, because of the gospel, that you should not only believe in him, but what? Also suffer for his name's sake. It's been granted to those of us who have turned to Christ in faith and repentance, who have trusted in what he's accomplished on the cross through his, his life of obedience, perfect, without sin, dying on the cross, Fulfilling the requirements of, of God's justice, wrath dealt with, dying, resurrected, then we come to this place of saying, I believe that all the benefits of what happened there have been granted to me to be able to believe in this word, in this gospel, in this good news. but also to suffer for his name's sake. Notice in this text that the preparation he's calling us to take is one regarding our mind and the way that we think. And what's that, that mean? Arm yourselves, arm yourselves. How do you arm yourself? How do you, how do you come to that point of arming yourself? Well, the Old Testament reading gave us a really good direction on what it looks like to arm ourselves. I'm not kidding. I love 23-year-olds, 23 years of age, and I actually learned Psalm 1 to the tune of Gilligan's Island. And it was really easy for me because I love coming home and watching Gilligan's Island. I love them all. Right? What does it say? Blessed is the man who meditates on God's law, who meditates on his word, who meditates on his instruction, who meditates on the discipline of knowing and hiding this word inside of our hearts so that when our feelings begin to be aroused and they begin to come to a place where it's affecting our thinking, what comes out is different. None of us are masters of that. None of us have that under control. All of us have the ability to set a force ablaze with just one word from our tongue. And 
So it's not just a matter of behavior, but an outlook, an attitude, a conviction, even our motivation. All these things coming to a place of finding its source, desiring to be in the obedience of Christ. And in the obedience of Christ, we desire to walk as Christ walked, regarding his obedience. Peter's writing, knowing suffering is expected to come as a normal part of the life of a disciple. He loves these congregations they speak to. He loves these people. He's their pastor. He's their elder. He's an apostle speaking to them, giving them pastoral care. And it's a forewarned message to us to forearm ourselves in the discipline of taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Even in the cesspool, the difficulty, the pain of suffering because of our condition. That's hard. But I want to let you know that there's a place of, of righteous suffering. And then there's also this area of just stupid suffering. Right? If you're walking around holding up signs that say, God hates filling the blanks, and you get punched in the face by one of the fill in the blanks, don't step back and be like, Thank you, Lord. For allowing me to suffer for you, he said. <laughs> that's, that's not about the suffering that I'm talking about. But we're to arm ourselves. We're forewarned. We have the responsibility as, as parents, as more mature disciples in Christ, to raise these little children. Explaining to them. Teaching them. Encouraging them with everything they need to be forewarned and to be forearmed as they live out their lives in this world, in this culture. Because the struggle of faith regarding obedience takes place on the battleground of suffering. Always. Always. So we see it has to do with the will of the Father. And some of the things of being forewarned and, and forearmed and ready for is teaching our children and letting them understand having a doctrinal depth even in their tender young years that the Father who loves us and is holy and is righteous is allowing our circumstances to unfold according to our good and his glory. God is working all things together for good to those who love him and been called according to his purpose. Our children should see us living that out. More important than just being able to teach these things or speak about these things is to witness a life being lived out regarding these things. But don't be surprised when suffering comes. But it's the will of the Father that gives me joy in the suffering. Because He's allowing it. 
And I want to just take us to be a little bit of a, a deeper level regarding the doctrine of truth and forearming and forewarning ourselves, being ready for it. When you actually wrestle with the doctrines of God's sovereignty, when you actually wrestle with what it means for Him to ordain things in His providence and His holiness, and that even though evil and evil men with, with their wills are doing things, that God is never in a place that any of that comes against His seed, His children, His church, without Him having a purpose in it. So even in the suffering, you have to find yourself in maturity saying, Father, this circumstance, this most difficult circumstance in my life right now that I'm experiencing, because you love me and I know you love me, the Holy Spirit testifies with my spirit that I'm a son or a daughter of the Lord. And so my heart cries out, Papa. Papa, I know that even in this pain, even in this struggle, this moment of suffering, you are holy and it's being worked on in my life for my good, for your glory. Because Paul also goes on and says in Ephesians, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. It has not only been appointed to you to believe in Lord Jesus Christ, but also to suffer for his name's sake. That's an appointed good work prepared for you beforehand. And if you think your God is some kind of mystical thing that's just kind of stepped out and he's like, I can't do anything, guys. It's just happening and just unfolding. Don't land there. That will shipwreck you. That's a, that's a doctrine from the enemy. That's one that causes us to be like, why am I going through this? If you're a good God and you love me and you care for me, why am I in poverty? Why am I fighting cancer? Why have I lost my child? Why have I experienced this? Why are these things going through my days, Lord? But if your mindset is like, Lord, I love you. I'm so thankful that you've appointed me. A faith that you, you, you've given me a heart that pursues and loves you and and in this suffering, this imperfection, and the effects of the fall, I know I'm going to suffer. And in this suffering, I know that it's going to be for your glory and for my good. If you go into your days, your weeks, and years, knowing that that moment, that season of discipline, through suffering of the Father has brought in your life, no son the time where daughter looks at and says, this is awesome. I love this. The mature sons and daughters find themselves in a place of saying, feelings, shut up. Take a back seat. Thinking, take every thought leading to Christ. Who am I? What is he doing in me? Do I know my daddy? Do I know my father? Is he in this? Is he in control? Has my savior, my brother, my prophet, my priest, my kid modeled what it looks like to walk through this? Do we find encouragement from the book? Do we find encouragement from the structure? Because these are doctrines that as you mature and you understand the sovereignty of God in the midst of suffering, you still may find yourself like Job in the morning getting the sacrifices together because your children have just had a party, a banquet, um, 
We'll get to that and jump in the gun here. But Job, it says that he had these sacrifices in the morning just in case his children might have sinned against the Lord with their peers, with their friends the night before. So he wants to cover their sin. He wants to make sure that they're protected. That maybe they're not in the place of his maturity. They, they may not have taken a warning that dad gave, or they may not have harmed themselves. They may not have a party and be like, listen, this is my dad's house. You can drink with drunkenness and sin. Lots of good food. My dad had lots of good animals. We slaughtered some. Mom's an amazing cook. You can eat, enjoy it, right? But gluttony is sin. In my dad's house, there's lots of rooms, there's lots of places, but none of you, and I'm not saying this because I read it already, none of you, especially you, Bucky Davis, are allowed to go into that room and instigate an orgy. After you've eaten and drunken all these things, you can't do that. But Noah finds himself in the morning. Don't know what my kids did last night. I mean, Jonah. Joke. <laughs> all righteous men. Joe finds himself in the morning saying, just in case any of that went sideways last night, I want to cover it. He has a motivation for doing that. Whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live the rest of their time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Oh man, this is a perfect verse that people will be like, and you'll come across them. I've come across them. I've come across them. Spurgeon came across them. It was great story about Spurgeon having some moment for supper. He claimed they, they, they've come to Christ and they no longer sin. That they are without sin. Really? And in simplicity, I'm just going to tell you this. That <laughs> they're liars. The truth is not in them. Because John said that if we claim to be without sin, we are a liar. Because all of us sin. We all sin. And we're, we're in a place of being completely justified and holy because of Christ's righteousness. And we're on this journey. That's a seal. There's a seal that's taking place on us because we're on a journey to the place where we will be glorified and we will be without sin. But in that point A to point B, we are being sanctified. And dying to sin. So there's a mindset here for whoever has suffered in the flesh. Guess what? There's no suffering in the flesh if there's no sin. Not just our sin, but the sin that's out there in the world. They've dealt with the issue, they know the source of their healing. They know who they are called to rest in and put their faith in their hope. And at that time, what this verse is really saying to us is their passions have changed. Things are different. Praise the Lord, all my soul, and all that is within me. Praise the Lord, all my soul, and forget all his benefits. Who has redeemed my life from the pit? Who has healed all of my sicknesses and my diseases? Who has crowned me with love and compassion? who has satisfied my desires with good things. This is what that verse is taking 
into account that when this happens, whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so that they as to live from the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passion, but for the will of God. He's changed my desires and satisfied them with good things. And so now I pursue the things that please my Father. I desire to pursue righteousness perfectly? No. But there's a fight. There's a fight. There's a place in our heart where we can say, I don't want to just run to the fight of sin. I want to fight against it and pursue righteousness. Our children, these, these little lives handed over to us to raise and to protect and train. I can't remember, I think it was one of the women here at City Chapel, young mother, I can't remember how long ago it was, but I just remember one of you mothers talking about birthdays and it should be. Like not just a, a celebration of birth, but a celebration that we've kept, kept this child alive this many years. And so it's really a, it's a, it's a celebration that you're not dead yet. I know it sounds weird, right? But, but don't you feel like that at times? It's like, have you ever come close to you thought you were going to lose a child? And you have lost a child? And you wrestle with those things? You wrestle with, with, with that pain of suffering? I say this to encourage you. The Father's will is being worked out. The child was never born. The Father's will is being worked out. The child whose life was ended short. The Father's will is being worked out. But when we have these little ones and, and they're handed to us, and they're given to us, you look at them. What's your thought, man? You start preaching the gospel to them. Kind of like this, oh, I so hope that it will be granted to you, not only to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but also to suffer for his names. No, we as parents, we're like, I don't want my child to experience any suffering. I don't want my baby to suffer. I don't want my father to suffer. I don't want my child to suffer. What's the name of this bullying break to you? Daddy's going to go talk to him. No one will stop. Let it take to change your mind as a parent. Say, and to pray, little one, suffering is coming. Suffering is going to be real. I can't Stop it from happening in your life. There's all these metaphysical things called love, hate, anger, envy, jealousy, all these things that you are going to experience. And when you experience it, you are going to suffer. You want them to suffer. You want them just to skip along. You cloud the cloud, the cloud, the cloud. The gospel tells us that. We have a responsibility to begin training them to take every thought captive to the meaning of Christ. And to know that in the suffering, that if they turn to Jesus in faith and repentance, that they will have a reconciled relationship with their Papa, their Daddy, who is for them, and is allowing these things, one, to bring them to Him. 
three, to sanctify him according to the image of the Son, and four, be glorified through the whole experience of the left exiles on a journey that is difficult. He will be glorified. I promise you this. This is what I'm mean, promising you. The Father will be glorified. Through their lives. The Father will be glorified through their lives. That doesn't mean that they're saved or unsaved. That means that whatever the Father has willed, whatever the Father desired, as their life unfolds, He will be glorified through their life. That's hard. So we have this issue in this verse regarding sin. What is sin? Sin is the to or transgression against the law of God. What is man? I want to conform it. experience. We also have this beautiful gospel. It says something will change you and you will move in a direction that will address the lack of conformity of who you should be in Christ. You will move forward regarding the transgressions that you do according to God the Father's will. You'll move forward. You'll, you will mature. But it's not easy. So there's always a connection between following Jesus regarding doctrine and logic and truth and teaching. Some people say, you know, I hate doctrine, it divides. Yeah, it divides the mature from the immature. Regarding the gospel, regarding our Savior, regarding the Father. So there's a connection between following Jesus regarding doctrine and logic. And also suffering that will bring forth a work that is overthrowing the power and pollution of sin in our heart. I hope, by God's grace, that I'm a better, a better husband than I was in my 20s. You know, we might even be surprised to ask Nikki, is she a perfect husband? If you hear no. I know, you'd be surprised, right? But go ahead. You ask her. She'll let you know. She'll let you know. Isn't that better husband than a wedding in the Lost me a bone. God's grace. The God's grace. So there's a connection between suffering and sanctification. Especially suffering that come because of persecution 
when you live out and share and proclaim the gospel to those who just reject it. Or from even those in the church who exalt their agenda and their desires above the word of God and the will of Christ. Faced with that kind of persecution and opposition, the disciples of Christ, no matter what circumstances they find themselves, have to make a decision. Have to make a choice. This isn't all just how you feel, it's what you think and what you do. So you find yourself in circumstances, you say, is Christ like this worth it? Man, I've been doing this for eight weeks of Jesus stuff. I don't know if this is worth it. You're going to come across someone who talks to you and they're like, hmm. Your disciples are like, Jesus. Yeah. I was too. I tried that. It didn't work for me. That's not, you know, oh, I tried, I tried church, I tried Christianity. It didn't work for me. I gave it a go. I gave God a fair, a fair, a fair shot. And it's like, would you tell me what you believed when you tried it and what you were hoping for? And you hear them express the things that they think the gospel is about and the things they desire to see the gospel bring forth. And then you can have a conversation where you, you don't know the gospel. And you begin to question them, like, who was your teacher? What church did you attend? Read this verse for me. What does that say to you? Just, just, if you had to unpack that verse for me, read it to me right now. I'm like, what do you mean? Here's the Bible. Read Philippians 129. It's only been appointed to you to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but also the substance for his name's sake. Is that what you tried? Uh, or were you, because things spent over here giving me a list of uh, was things that would remove suffering from your life. That if I come to Jesus and accessorize my life with Jesus, that there'll be less suffering, there'll be less pain, there'll be less of these things that cause discomfort for me. And uh, yeah, I gave, I gave God a try and, and none of this stuff was removed. Actually, I think some things were actually added to it. And then you have an opportunity to unpath the gospel. To bring the truth of God's word and what it means to be a disciple. To begin this process of suffering. In maturity, we find ourselves saying, I'd rather have Jesus in trial, doing the suffering, than all the sin. That is available with earthly peace and pleasures. If you do it all over again, you ever like have those days where you're like, oh man, I just go back to kindergarten. I take this stuff out of the park, man. Right? You got the mindset there? Like, if you just go back, would you do it differently? If you, if you could go back and do it differently, would you fall in love with yourself again? Would you go back and just like you've already done, fall in love with yourself again? Or would you say, I want to deny myself and fall in love with Jesus again? Because when you know the gospel, 
and you know what it means to suffer for Christ, and you get to a place of maturity, you think to yourself, but to do it over again, I fall in love with Jesus soon. Because we're all in the process of falling out of love with ourselves. Because our feelings over here, yes, we love the most a lot of times. Shame. But in maturity, when our feelings over here begin to be worked on by the Holy Spirit, there comes a place where it's like, my feelings really, really, truly love the Lord. My feelings really, really do know I have a Father in heaven. My feelings really do know that the gospel is the only hope. My feelings constantly now are these beautiful slaves that are encouraging me to think and to feel and to move in such a way that I have reckless abandonment. On this journey, in this culture, because I know the gospel, I know my Savior, I know my Father. I know where I'm going. I know what he's called me to do. We're all at different chapters, different points in our lives. We all have different races to live. Do you want me to pick on you? Do you pick on someone? There's so many of you offering to pick on me, and now I'm just gonna, I'm gonna pick on Noah. I'm gonna pick on Noah. Noah has a different grace to run the world. He has different responsibilities. He's handling things in the financial world that I don't have any desire to touch or be responsible for. He's in a chapter that I can relate to as a young father with children. There's similarities. I'm not really picking on anyone. I'm pointing out that we have different graces to run. If you're, if you're a mom who's pregnant, have kids, done having kids, it's going to pick on moms right now. You have a race to run regarding motherhood. You have a race to run regarding raising little disciples who will go out there and be ready to suffer for the gospel and to kick open the enemy's door. That's, that's your responsibility right now. Fathers. I'm going to pick on the fathers now. How you doing? You leading your family in worship? You catechizing your kids? You bring them to the scriptures? You showing them what it looks like to model repentance? Trust in Jesus to love your, your wife? To bring discipline into their lives? Biblical discipline, tender discipline, discipline that causes them in the seasons of adulthood to look back at how you did it as dads, as fathers, and be like, Dad, I'm so thankful that you disciplined us. I have to edit this out. Dad, I'm so thankful that you took the rod to us. So thankful that you helped us Govern our emotions so that life was easier on mom. Dad, you can look back now and laugh and delight over you spanking us. 
are so far back in my path. And I'm thankful. And I enjoy it. And this pursuit and a desire to move forward in Christ's likeness. And we, as the covenant people, as those who profess faith in Christ, we have the place to encourage each other from the weakest to the strongest to keep moving forward. We're going to have broken relationships. We're going to have points of, of envy, jealousy, strife, pride's going to get in the way, feelings are going to do stuff. But we need to be in a place where we come together and encourage each other. Press on. Press on. In Christ's likeness. You know, sometimes the way that one friend does it, the way the way that my wife does it, it might just offend other people. And, but it's her makeup. It's who she is. It's how she does it. It's how she she celebrates her life in Christ even in the midst of suffering. And I trust me, I'm with you. I, I'm like, listen man. You need to post some of the suffering stuff on Facebook. Not just this stuff. Like you need to post some suffering stuff. And she did. Look, 31 years with you, boom, right there. <laughs> I'm like, okay. That's enough of that for a few years. She's like, lose your hair. I'm like, okay, I get it. Yeah, you suffered with me. Friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, she has suffered with me. Do you think I'm an easy man to live with? In Christ, in Christ alone. <coughs> we live in a culture of niceness. We live in a comfort that encourages us to find to find comfort. And we don't want to, you know, come against the culture and offend them. We have to be nice. We have to be politically correct. You know, it's, it's going to be challenging. <laughs> I have a hard I have a hard time being politically correct. I have a hard time just going down the road of niceness with people. There's all kinds of circumstances, but the thing that scares me the most is there's actually laws that are being applied, strengthened across our nation that are going to silence our convictions about what sin is. And not allowed us to speak against a culture that thinks that this scene in particular or that scene in particular, it's okay because the culture morally has decided it's okay. And then if you speak against that, you're, you're actually um, going to receive punishment, you're going to receive fines, you're going to receive things. And you think about, you know, just to throw it out there, what it means concerning con conversion there. Right? You have someone who loves this sin in their life and pursuing it and saying things about being a disciple of Christ. And then I come into the room and I'm like, you're not a disciple of Christ. You need to read Romans chapter 1 again. You need to find out what God finds detestable. And you need to repent and give your life to Christ. Whoa! Did you just offer me with some kind of code for conversion therapy? There's laws now in this province. They're making it illegal for us to have that conversation. Look up the conversion 
European laws have been forced in the colonies. Because we need to become comfortable with putting Christ first. And knowing when we are comfortable and gracious and long suffering and viewing in humility, that there is going to be opposition. Now I love how it lays out in this verse. With respect to this, with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. How many of you have friends, or you still have friends, that you can go to their party for a little bit? And then you're like, I gotta go, guys. See you Sunday at church. And they're like, yeah, right. Where are you going? I'm like, can't stay here anymore, but I love you guys, and I've been here for this, you know, this duration, but I gotta go now. Oh, you Christians, you Bible thumpers. Like, why aren't you just gonna partake in what we want to do? Wow, let me tell you. It is such a fine art to engage in that culture. It's such a fine art to have friends and connections and relationships in that, in, in that culture, in that world. And not cause them offense just for the sake of causing them offense. Right? But actually, trying to come to a place where there are going to be those who are just going to malign you. They're just going to come against you. They're just going to like want to destroy your character. Right? But it's going to be those that you touch and you journey with and you experience relationship with that are going to be like, something there. There's something that is attractive. Even though there's an element of hostility and evil and feelings are being stirred up against you, there's also this place of the sweet aroma of Jesus coming out of us. We need to be wise. Understand that you're asking them to thank you. They will feel judged by us. Simply because you won't embrace one, their logic, their wisdom, their choices as your own. People become pretty hostile. It really isn't true of tolerance when they absolutely have decided that you have landed on the wrong side of their convictions. It's even seen in the visible church, and you really think about it, that's why we have denominations. There's convictions, and those convictions cause us to be hostile towards one another if you're not in that camp, in that denomination. And so if it's happening in the church, why should we be surprised if it's happening over in the culture? Right? It's everywhere. I want to encourage you with this. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by the good life, by deep done humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast about it or, or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, and sincere. Peacemakers who stay in peace, reap a harvest of righteousness. How many of us identify that we're functioning in that area of what James calls demonicism? That we should be encouraging each other 
to pursue what James describes to us regarding wisdom that is of God, that is a Father, and applying it to each other and also the world that is hostile towards us. We need to encourage each other to be peacemakers. I'm going to think I'm closing with I am. I'm closing with this. So, 55 minutes, I'm closing with this. You know, Lord, that I pray that you read the first text of our entire sermon, that you add his own blessings to the reading of his word. What the word does in us is much more important than what I'm talking about here. Amen? That the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit teaching us is far more important than what's happening out of my mouth. So, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being full in full accord in one mind, do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but humility come out of one yourselves, that each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Having this mind, this mind set, this, this discipline among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is our hope. It is our good news. It is our gospel. And I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Isn't that good news? And so in that, we are not ashamed to suffer for the gospel. We're willing to run into it. We're willing to pursue and identify and grow in understanding the Father's will and the suffer that we experience also has with it a joy that cannot be quenched. Because we know who we are in Christ and who we can reconcile to. Amen. Let's pray. O Lord and gracious Father, by your spirit awakening us from the youngest to the oldest, a longing and passionate hunger and appetite for obedience. Lord, we're being manifested first in, in children loving their brothers and sisters more than they love themselves. We would manifest in our young ones that they would desire to see their mother and their father delight in them. Lord, would be lived out and brought to life. We, as mothers and fathers, become living examples of what it means to have joy even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of pain, poverty, sickness, 
anything, Lord, that you, in your prescription for the loving Father, prescribes, and we find great joy in. And when we have the ability and the privilege to reduce suffering, Lord, may we also perceive that. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Please rise.